0: Good morning, this is uh, an exciting Sunday in the life of Seven Mile Road. It happens once every four years. We are installing a new set of elders that have been prepared and have been prayed over, have been trained, and we're excited to be welcoming them. They they were actually ordained in the nine o'clock hour, and ordination in many ways is like a marriage, so we're not replaying it exactly, because it happened at the nine, but we want everyone to be a part of it. So uh, I I believe all four men are still in the room. Is that true? Can you guys stand where you are? Um, There's Tyler in the back. Tyler was already standing. So, all right. So you've got Taylor Howard and Luke Carlson, Tyler Blue, Blaine Killian. Um, These four men have been prepared by God to serve this family, um, to shepherd and to love the life of Seven Mile Road. And I am about to preach a sermon to these four men and you're all gonna get to listen. Um, but I'm gonna ask at the outset that we, we pray over them and, uh, and just thank God for them, for their willingness to step into this call. And so I'd, I'd invite you to join me as I pray for our time and for these men. Let's, let's pray. So gracious God and father, I thank you for your design for the church. You love the church like your own bride. You purchased her by your blood, Jesus. And we thank you for these men willing to step into the high calling of loving and shepherding the bride, of sacrificing for her. And and I pray that you would bless and strengthen these men for the work that you've called them to. I pray, God, that you would help ours to be a family that operates in unity and holiness. That those that join as gospel partners would willingly and gladly and joyfully submit to the lead of their elders. And that elders would not exercise their oversight with um, anything other than gentleness and Christ-like character. I pray, God, that ours would be a community that honors you in the way that we operate. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and you'd bless these moments. We thank you in advance for what you intend to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, would you just welcome these men within a, a round? We love you guys. Thanks. Cool. So as I noted, if, if you've been around, you know that we've been preaching through the book of Genesis. We're on a two-week pause Genesis 3 is coming in just a couple of weeks. Um, but this morning, what I am doing, as I mentioned, is I, I'm preaching a message from First Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a moment in time where Paul is explaining and defending, uh, kind of unveiling, and, in a sense, the nature of his ministry along with those leaders that traveled with him. And what I'm aiming to do is to preach a word to the hearts of the leaders and the life of our community. And the reason that we're not just doing this in my office is because I'm, I'm hungry for all of you to hear it. To hear the standard that your elders are being called to. To understand what it is to, to love and understand that there are leaders that are over you with this heartbeat. I hope it stirs some of you in the room that might be called to lead in some new and different way. This is a word that applies to all hearts in the sense that the call to be an elder is just to, the call to be a wholehearted disciple. So the word applies to everyone, but it's specifically to these men who are stepping into this office. And I want you to, to listen in as I'm speaking to them. In order to do this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explore these 12 verses, which in many way, in many ways are the the path to fruitful ministry for an elder. You maybe heard it in verse one in the way that Paul introduces it. He says, you yourselves know brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. And the word for vain means empty. What he is saying is he's defending his ministry that he had amongst the Thessalonians. He's saying, listen, when we were there, it wasn't empty. It was overflowing with fruitfulness. It was full. And then he goes on from verses two through 12 to explain how and why a leader's ministry would be full rather than empty, follow? And so from verses two through 12, what I'm gonna draw out is five simple, direct, brief charges to the leaders of the life of this family that if, as you live into these five charges from Paul, they will lead to a ministry that is full, that is fruitful. So here we go. As you get to listen to a word spoken directly to your elders, but for the good of all of your souls. Charge number one to our elders. Boldly declare the gospel. Boldly declare the gospel. Paul's journey to Thessalonica, these people that he's writing a letter to, when he first arrived with them, his journey to arrive at their doorstep was not an easy one. He came limping into town with bruises and cuts and probably a blind, or pardon me, a black eye. He had just recently been beaten and run out of a place called Philippi for preaching the gospel. And what you see is that Paul, place after place after place, he goes and he declares to people the good news. An announcement about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and how it has impact and import for everyone's call in life. And people are telling Paul everywhere he goes to stop, to be silent, at risk of his life and imprisonment and a beating. Yet Paul continues to proclaim it. I want you to hear it in his own words as he expresses the boldness with which he is declaring the gospel. Look back at verses two through four with me. He says this But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our god to declare to you the gospel of god in the midst of much conflict for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive but just as we have been approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not to please man but to please god who tests our hearts you see paul is saying that there is something that motivated he and the the community that was traveling with him in his ministry. It was the heartbeat that woke them up in the morning and allowed them, even when they were limping and beaten, to continue to move forward. He says, this is the thing that motivated us, the gospel. The announcement that there is a new king His name is Jesus and he has made a way home for the people of this world to to make their way home to the heart of God that he has lived the life they were intended to live and died the death they deserve to die under the judgment of God, resurrected to glorious new life so that there is an extended hand to all men and women that you can come home to God. Paul woke up morning after morning saying no matter what the conflict, no matter what the pressure this message has to be declared. He says, This is what motivated me the gospel. And so, men, as you step into eldership, to our current elders, to leaders in the life of our body, the statement that I want to start with is this make sure that the gospel is what drives you. We don't step into leadership because we want power, because we want authority. Because we have personal hobby horses that we want to make sure get talked about enough. Or certain theological cul-de-sacs, secondary minor issues that we're really passionate about. And we want to make sure we're always talking about. Listen, our commitment around here is to major on the majors. We want to raise up leaders that are enthralled with Jesus. They wake up daily thinking, oh, that I might sink my roots more deeply into the heart of Jesus and then invite others to do the same. These are the sort of leaders we are looking to raise up and to release into the life of our body for your benefit, for your good. You see, the gospel has to be central. And did you notice that he, he makes it really clear there's actually a way that the gospel is carried. It's carried boldly boldly. Men, you you cannot be calculating how someone is going to receive what it is that you have to announce to them. If we're constantly trying to negotiate, I don't know, what will people think of me if I declare what is true about Jesus? If we're always doing that calculus, we are not prepared to lead in the life of Jesus's church. We must boldly declare the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus that has sharp edges, that reminds people of their sinfulness and their brokenness and their need, but also of the hope that is found in Jesus. We boldly declare the gospel, not calculating, not wondering how are people going to respond. Charge number one, boldly declare the gospel. Charge number two, affectionately share your life affectionately share your life what we find in Paul's language right on the heels of talking about boldly announcing the gospel you just heard it he's saying I, I was beaten out of this city I limped into this city and I kept boldly declaring it to you you can get the sense right out of the intro that man Paul's kind of intense and he was don't don't miss that Paul was intense but we might miss the fact that Paul had the heart of a pastor he loved people. The language that follows right on the heels of the boldness with which he said he declared the gospel is outrageously and uniquely affectionate language. He talks about a nursing mama tending for her little baby. He says that you've become very dear to us. He says we are affectionately desirous of you. Listen to this language and listen to just how affectionate Paul is for the people in Thessalonica. He says this, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Underneath that word, affectionately desirous for you, the original term in in the Greek language is a term that's not used elsewhere in the scriptures. And it's used very sparsely in ancient Greek literature. One of the places that it was used in a contemporary usage was of a mom whose son had died and she was longing to be with her boy. That's the sort of language that Paul is selecting. And incidentally, do you know how long his ministry was among the Thessalonians? Somewhere between 6 and 12 weeks. Now, just consider for a second, he's writing this letter to a community where he ministered in their midst, and this is the sort of language he's using about them. I was like a mom with her newborn baby with you. You are very dear to me. I was like a, a mom that had longed for her lost child. I love you like that. Can you imagine how wide open Paul is leading his life? The way that he's welcoming people in. He's welcoming them in as he meets them into his very heart, into the tender places of his life. This this means elders, men, that you are called to sacrificial risky love. To Allowing yourself to be exposed, exposed to the pain and the hurt of loving people that might not receive your love or, or might actually wound you in response. What this means is that there has to be a death to tough guy dolphin flips. Yeah, you heard me. Tough guy dolphin flips. That makes no sense. Yeah, but look at this. Um, do, you know, do you know dolphins in training One of the first tricks that a dolphin can learn, they actually can pick it up really quickly. You know what it is? It's this, jumping in synchronized ways, doing flips, that this comes naturally to dolphins. And that in fact, in the training process, as I understand it, that's a pretty straightforward thing to train dolphins to do. And then in fact, with just a series of blowing of the whistle or certain hand movements from their trainers, they'll jump out of the water and they'll do big, exciting flips that causes everyone to go, whoa, look at that. The hardest thing to teach a dolphin in training. The hardest trick to train a dolphin to do. Do you know what it is? To lay belly up in the water and allow people to come by and to pet them. The reason is because a dolphin in the wild in this position, that spells certain death. It is exposure. If in the wild their belly is exposed, it means that they are vulnerable. Vulnerable to be wounded or even killed this means that the the call for our elders the call for spiritual leaders is to say death to the tough guy dolphin flip this is the idea of i want to be super impressive from a distance but keep everyone at arm's length so that they don't actually know me the call to be an elder in the life of jesus's church is to love with your whole life to affectionately share your whole life. It's, it's actually a call to, to tender Hannibal love. Hannibal is a, a dog, this is, this is a picture. That's actually not Hannibal though, he looks just like it. I couldn't get a picture in time. Sorry, my microphone's being testy. Um, Hannibal, my best friend growing up is a man named Joseph. His, his dad died when he was young. And just after his dad died, he, he received a little puppy named Hannibal that looked just like this dog. And Hannibal became his constant companion. So my best friend's best friend was a dog. I always played second fiddle to Hannibal. Joseph is very clear. I love Hannibal most, right? Because there were a lot of nights where for a young boy who is missing his dad, he needed someone that was just there with him. And Hannibal was always there. Hannibal was the one that came in and just laid next to him he didn't do much that was impressive he couldn't do a flip (laughs) he wasn't garnering the praise from a distance but he was loyal and faithful and he was there when Joseph needed him most the call to being a leader in Jesus's church is a call to loyal Hannibal love not dolphin flips it's not a call to try to be impressive from a distance. It's a call to say, I will be loyal. I'll share my heart and my life with you. Now, Seven Mile Road, as we continue to grow, we feel the, the recognition relationally that like, I'm not gonna be able to know each person the way that I wish to. And every elder's not gonna be able to know every person. But what we're laboring to do is to raise up qualified, godly elders that are posturing themselves throughout the life of this community in this sort of way to say that there are people that are praying for you, that care for you, and that are not aiming to keep you at arm's length, but are willing in real community to share the whole of their lives. We are committed to affectionately sharing our lives with you. You see, we boldly declare the gospel. We affectionately share our lives. Charge number three to those of you who are stepping into this role as elders is this. Industriously break a sweat industriously break a sweat this this work of announcing the gospel and of loving people with the whole of your lives is is work that requires grit and tenacity hard work Paul is not even though he just used like tender mama language and I'm affectionately desirous for you. It can start to feel maybe um, a little bit soft around the edges. And, And the interesting thing is he definitely means all of the tenderness and all of the gentleness, but it's not for lack of grit and hard work and tenacity because he marries it immediately to language of hard work and toil and labor. Hear it in verse nine, in the way that he describes it. He says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Labor, toil, work. Paul is making a point in this verse, is he not? Three different words that are kind of synonyms of one another, kind of stacking them up on top of one another so we don't miss the fact That he's saying, remember, when I was with you, I worked hard. I was for you. For Paul, what this meant is that he was tent making. He was making tents with his hands to supply his own needs so that he could preach the gospel free of charge to the people in Thessalonica. This means that he was working day and night. He was breaking a sweat for them that they might have access to the gospel. I love pastoring in the life of Seven Mile Road. And one of the reasons that I love it is because this is an industrious group of people. You work hard, you men and women work hard. We've got teachers that love their students and go above and beyond providing good care for them. We have like 614 medical professionals. Uh, I've watched you in med school and in residency and fellowship, keeping wild hours and working hard to bring healing to people. We've got engineers and electricians and carpenters, people that are showing up each day and doing good, hard work. And what I want our future elders to hear and what I want you to know about the the sort of call that we're establishing for the leaders in the life of our church is that we think that gospel ministry, the sort of work done applying the good news of Jesus to the souls of men and women is equally, if not more important than any of the other labor that we are willing to break a sweat for. We think this is worthy of our energy and our effort. And so I just want you to hear, Seven Mile Road, you have... You do have really industrious leaders. There there are two men that are not in the room at this hour. Um, Bill Cornelius and Scott Luther. Many of you know them. Today in welcoming the new elders, this also represents them completing a a significant term in their eldership. They're rolling off uh, from from serving as elders. These men are busy. They've worked really hard to serve and to love this family. In many ways, you will never know to say thank you for things they've done in the secret, ways that they have prayed and worked and labored to provide health and the life of this body. They've worked hard. They're worthy. It's, it's worthy that we celebrate them. And of the four new elders stepping in, three more are lay elders and one will be a staff elder. So lay elders, they, they go to work and they do other stuff during the day. Taylor, he takes care of tiny hearts. He's a pediatric cardiologist. He makes sure tiny little baby hearts stay in rhythm that's busy. He's got a, he's got a heavy plate. He's got a lot on it. We've got men with young children, Blaine and Luke. You guys have busy schedules and tough jobs. What you need to hear is that these men are not stepping into eldership because they're bored. It's not because they don't like have something better to do with their time. It's because they think gospel ministry is worth breaking a sweat. They're willing to work a day at work during the day so that in their evenings and their weekends, they can love and serve this family. And that's part of the call of being an elder is to industriously break a sweat. Tyler Ballou, who many of you know, has been serving as our director of equipping. He is now the pastor of equipping as he's stepping into eldership. And Tyler is joining Peter and Michael and I doing this full time, which I just need to say to you, thank you. Thank you for that privilege. It's your generosity that frees us up that we're not making tents by day so that we can preach by night. We get to, we get to give our whole lives to this. But I need you to know that we are all holding ourselves accountable to, to believe this, that we, we say often that we're committed to there being no lazy pastors in the life of Seven Mile Road. We hope that as you draw near to us, you go, wow, these men are really serious about giving their lives to the cause of the gospel. And Tyler is committed to doing that work. Elders industriously break a sweat. Charge number four. Charge number four. I made up a word for this one. I hope you'll forgive me. Um, Charge number four, integrously. Not a word, not supposed to be an adverb, I guess, but today it is. Integrously guard your conduct. Who these men are when no one else is watching really matters. And it doesn't just matter for them, it matters for us. Having qualified godly elders that are the real thing when no one is watching is crucial for the direction and the health and the wholeness of the body of Christ. I am longing that this verse... I am longing for the verse that I'm about to read over you that every elder in the life of our community would be able to boldly and honestly and in good conscience look you in the eyes and say the same. It's bold. I want you to hear it with me. Listen to verse 10. Can you imagine as Paul is writing this to these people how they would have heard it? He says, you are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers that is a bold statement that Paul is making to the Thessalonians he's saying you know you saw my life holy righteous and blameless now listen those three words they're not perfect the word perfect is not in that list So that's not what he's he's saying. He's not claiming perfection and that's not the call for the leaders in the life of this church. But what he is calling them to is radical holiness towards hating their sin and loving the light, being quick to repent and being quick to to welcome the grace of Jesus into them as they walk holy in the light saying, I am exactly who I claim to be in public is who I am in private. This is the call for your elders. This is the call for spiritual leadership across the board. This means, men, being on guard, being on guard against the triumvirate of leadership temptation, sex, money, and power. To being so on guard to say the temptations surrounding those three things will not have a toehold in your life that even at the hint of those sorts of temptations that you will name it and you will invite the community in and say for the good of the souls of this community we are not going to be taken out by these consistent well-worn ruts that the enemy runs in when it relates to Christian leadership we're going to be on guard to say not us and not because we're good Not because we're so powerful and we have it all together, but because Jesus is good and powerful and will hold us together. Friends, what I need you to know is this. There are two elder meetings every month. Many of you are aware of this. The first week and the third week of the month, the elders gather to pray and to meet. In the third week, we're doing the, the business work of the church. We're checking in on the budget. We're checking in on the health of house churches. We're praying about concerns and issues that are bubbling up in the life of our family. We're paying attention to marriages that are in distress. And we're just working through the the work of what does it mean to be shepherds who love this family and give ourselves to this family. That's the third week of the month. The first week of the month is just, we gather to confess our sin and to tend to each other's souls, to live in the light and say, hey, I I had this thought or this temptation has been present and I need to name it to you men and I need you to pray for me so that it never sees the light of day. It never takes hold in my life. We are on guard for each other's hearts because it matters for the health and the direction of this family. And listen, have we, can we just admit together that we're like really sad and really tired? of seeing one fall after another in spiritual leadership. And I need you to know, like, family, I need you to know your elders are not above that. Every time I hear one of those stories, I say, oh, but by the grace of God, there go I. Like, I'm held together by the grace of Jesus, as are the other elders. We need you to pray for us. Pray that we would step into the weight of this call in a way that is carried along by the power of the Spirit and by the grace of God. And men, you must make a commitment to integrously guard the conduct of your life. We wanna be the sort of people that are on guard and ready, walking in the light, hating the darkness, hating every shred of the shadows so that we can continue to take steps in alignment and enjoy into the presence of God together. Charge number five, wisely pursue the maturity of the church. So parents in the room, what is your role? What is your role as it relates to raising your kids? When I first had our, our oldest, is Finn, 12, he turned 12 this week. So 12 years ago, we, we brought our first home. And I remember when when I was just in the throes of those early stages I was convinced like the role of parenting is to keep this thing alive Like let's feed it, make sure it sleeps and protect it and hold its head and Like that was the sum total of parenting Until I began to realize my horizon, was, my horizon line was way too low The goal of parenting is not to tend to babies The goal of parenting is to raise and release mature and fruitful adults It's why parents are in the game. It's what God has called us to. And beautifully, what Paul is doing in this text is he's adopting the language of parenting. He started early on in the passage saying, I was like a nursing mama to you, like a little baby that I was tending to and providing for. But by the end of the passage, he's talking like a father with his growing children. And I think what is baked into this text is an invitation towards wisdom of knowing the difference between the two. Let me read these verses to you and and, and feel the weight of it with me. Verses 11 and 12 read this way. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and we encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, do you hear the series of verbs that Paul is engaging in with his growing children, his maturing children? exhorted, encouraged, which can also mean persuaded, encouraged uh, uh, or persuaded, and then charged you to walk in a manner worthy of worship. So the Adams over here, you've got a precious little one. We, yeah. So what wouldn't make sense, like what you're doing right now, patting his back, holding, holding close, tending to the, to this little one, uh, That makes perfect sense. That's what's intended for this little one. What wouldn't make sense, Carla, is for you to exhort and charge your baby. It's time to walk. It's time to be mature. It's time to do what you've been called to do. What Paul is saying is he's actually separating the distinction between them. That we need to know when it's time to hold and to pat. And we need to know when it's time to gently yet firmly exhort and to charge. He's saying spiritual parenting needs to have the tenderness of a mother with a baby. That when you show up into a situation, you say, ah, this is a scenario with a a baby Christian that's just beginning to understand the implications of Jesus. And like, this is kind of like a diaper changing sort of scenario. We've got a mess on our hands and I don't need to scold. I need to be gentle and patient and just understand what's happening there. But there are other moments where there needs to be a, The strength of a father with a growing son saying, hey, it's time to step into this. And the call of eldership requires the wisdom to call the church into maturity, to know who it is that you're loving and walking with in that moment. I loved just a couple of weeks ago after a service, many of you know George Michael Swift. Um, George Michael came up to me after the service and he said, I was meeting with Luke Carlson, one of the men that's been installed as an elder uh, today. And he said, I was meeting with Luke and Luke looked at me and said, George Michael, you've got a lot on your plate. Which if you know George Michael, that's kind of like saying water is wet. Like the man is just a whirl of energy. He just wants to give his life to people. And and Luke said, you've got a lot on your plate. You've got too much on your plate in this season. And you need to strengthen your no. You've got to start saying no to some things. And I'm going to follow up with you over the next six months to make sure some of these things are unwinding. And George Michael was telling this story to me and he said, I'm so thankful for Luke. I trust his voice in my life. And I I love that he was willing to say that to me. And in that moment, it gave me such joy that one, Luke is officially being recognized as an elder in the life of our family because that's the work of spiritual leadership. And I love, that's the picture of the way that a church could work together in health, that those that are leaning in with the life of Seven Mile Road would say to their elders, yeah, lead me, tend to me, pray for me, challenge me where I need to be challenged. And that elders would gently and firmly and lovingly say, yes, here's what it looks like for us together to continue to go on this journey, to grow in maturity, to look more and more like Jesus. This is God's design for the family of faith. You see, these men who are stepping into eldership, they're called to be bold and affectionate and industrious and integrous and wise in the way they pursue your maturity. And let's be honest, it wouldn't be a seven mile road sermon and I wouldn't be true to point number one if I didn't help us to see the beauty of Jesus in this. Because this picture of the call to shepherding is ultimately a picture of our ultimate good shepherd. Listen, there is one shepherd over Jesus's church and it is Jesus. And he raises up under shepherds who are called elders and they, their only authority is borrowed authority submitted to Jesus. And so You men are being called to submit to his authority and to keep your eyes fixed on him, recognizing that he of all people boldly declared the good news. When he stepped into the world, he began to preach from town to town. And what he announced everywhere he went is the kingdom of God is at hand. What he was saying is, I'm the king. And as you submit to my reign and rule, you will find your freedom in your fullness, and he announced it from town to town as he slowly revealed himself. He did so as he was affectionately sharing his life. Jesus didn't keep people at arm's length. He welcomed them in. Even people like Judas Iscariot, It tells us in the gospels that he knew Judas was going to wound him deeply and he still loved him. He still washed his feet on the very night when he was going to betray him. Jesus opened himself up. There was no no tough guy, dolphin flips, doing, doing spectacular things from a distance, but then hiding from people. He opened himself up to them. He made himself vulnerable and risky, even to the point. Can you imagine a more vulnerable and risky position than being naked and pinned to a tree? And in that moment, what Jesus was saying is, I am so affectionately sharing my life with you because I cherish the bride. I was willing to bleed and die for you. This is Jesus' word over your life. He loved you like his very own. He says, you will be my own. I will purchase you with my own blood. I was willing to break a sweat for you bleeding i was actually sweating blood on the night that i was betrayed because i was willing to work hard to give it all down to the last drop do you see that jesus is the perfect good shepherd he guarded his conduct to the end even having a pure heart towards those that wounded him and killed him forgiving them from the cross And in his resurrection glory, three days later, after conquering our sin and our enemy, Satan, and death itself, he came back. And do you know what he did for 40 days while he was alive? He did one thing over and over and over. Do you know what it was? We read about the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and think, oh, there was that one time he commissioned people. But in fact, what he did while alive, we actually have four different commissionings from Jesus given in different places at different times. It seems that in his resurrection glory, everywhere he went, he was going, and now it's your turn. You have all that you need for righteousness' sake. You have the Holy Spirit available to you. You have my grace covering you. You have everything that you need to extend my love meaningfully into the world. You get to be a part of eternal work. Wherever you go, wherever you make your tents, wherever you find your home, you can be an extension of my love. Now go. Do you see that he was wisely aiming at the maturity of the bride, releasing her into the world? He is the good shepherd. And oh, Seven Mile Road, he loves you. He died for you. And now he's raising up qualified leaders to serve and tend to you. Welcome these men. Submit to them. Follow their lead. Even as they fulfill this high calling that God has extended to them. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for so faithfully, perfectly, wisely shepherding our souls at great cost to yourself. We are grateful. And I pray God that in this season of growth in the life of our family, all that's going on, God, so much is gonna change in the next four years as these men serve this body. There will be threats towards division. There will be sin and brokenness and heartache. There will be wolves that come in among us teaching false doctrine. All the things that the Bible assures us will happen, they will happen. And what I'm asking is that you would protect the unity and the purity and the joy and the health of this family. As these men do the good and faithful work of shepherding. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that is yet to trust in Jesus, that they would hear the good news that he is the faithful shepherd willing to lay down his life for them, and that they would respond with wholehearted trust in his name. So, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We pray it in your name. Amen.